Happy Saturday, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Geeky Podcast. Sports Geeky Pod for short. My name is Alex Reamer. Thank you all for making our first episode a rousing success. We debuted to the podcast world last Saturday, part of the Outsports Podcast Network. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be found. Listen, subscribe, download. Let me repeat, download the show because that is how we get judged. So thank you for that. And despite my initial skepticism about the Sports Kiki name, many of you said you dig it. You like it. It's a Saturday. It's a weekend. It's a Kiki. So you love it. I love it. Thank you. You know what? That was really a, that was really fishing for a compliment. You know, when I when I when you open up your podcast uh, and your debut episode uh, saying, "Oh, you know, I don't know about this name. What do you think? Let me know." I was really just baiting you all to message me and go, "Oh, Alex, it's great. I don't know what you're talking about." I even got Sid, uh, our founder, Sid Ziegler, to call me and say, "Actually, I like the sports kiki name. Why are you so down on it?" So, thank you, Sid. Thank you for answering my compliment. That's me just fishing for comments. I'm the friend who's like, "Oh." Oh, I don't think I look good tonight. And then you go, oh, no, you look great. You look really awesome. So that's, that's me. I'm always, I'm always fishing for the comments. So thank you for obliging and doing that for me last week. Um, very excited about the show this week and very excited about our guest. As I teased on Twitter a couple days ago, or I should say the genius who runs the Sports Kiki Podcast Twitter account, at Sports Kiki Pod. Uh, they teased it. I wonder who they could be. Uh, I am talking to an old friend, uh, literally an old friend, on the show this week. Very excited to get to him. Steve Buckley, longtime sports columnist here in Boston, now writes for the Athletic Boston, uh, covering the Red Sox. He's down in spring training right now, the Patriots, and all the great uh, Boston sports stories we have. Um, so we'll get to Buck in a moment, but as deputy managing editor, about sports, I would feel remiss if I did not spend uh, a little bit uh, just telling you about some of the great stuff we have on the site this week. Uh, we have a great list of contributors, and they produced great stuff for us this week, as they do every week, week in, week out. But this week, I wanted to highlight a couple of things on the homepage right now, starting with uh, just a great guest essay from uh, an out bisexual cross-country runner at BYU named Emma Gee. Uh, Ken Schultz, one of our contributors, wrote a piece about the changing BYU honor code. They made some ambiguous changes surrounding same-sex dating and whether or not that's still forbidden or you can be public. And Emma writes an essay published on our website right now uh, challenging and asking the BYU administration to clarify this ambiguous change to their honor code. And... I can't even imagine being in Emma's shoes and the bravery she uh, she 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 shows on a daily basis being an out person, an out undergrad at BYU where same-sex dating is, you know, maybe still forbidden under the honor code. Uh, prior to this ambiguous change, it was unquestionably forbidden under the honor code. Um, you know, I came out in college like many people did. I had that mentality. Oh, here I am now out of my podunk hometown. Finally, the big city, BU. I can be myself. I can be a you know, free expression. I mean, you know, they charge 60000 a year in tuition. They better give you free expression. <laughs> but really, I mean, college is a time where you find yourself and you discover yourself. I, at least I know I did. Um so it's just it's I can't imagine being in the situation Emma is, and you know BYU. She grew up from a 
religious background and she loves a lot about the school and she loves what it offers but there's there's so many great things about it but there's there's it's not letting her fully be herself the honor code so um so a great essay from emma that i encourage everyone to read uh, also carly webb one of our contributors uh wrote a great story on her connection with an athlete named cc telfer who is a black college trans track star uh carly talks about her bond with cc over sports and also I am going to plug my own work, too, because I get ch- we get judged in our clicks as well. Uh, Harrison Brown. I wrote a great piece with Harrison Brown this week, uh, who was the first openly male trans professional athlete in a team sport uh, in the NWHL. He won back-to-back championships, hung up his skates uh, a couple of years ago, moved back to his native uh, Toronto, Canada, his, his home city, Toronto, and now is a full-time actor, and he's due up in a play and a movie, each coming out within the next few weeks. In the movie, Harrison plays a gay cisgender man. In the play, he plays an actual trans man. Um, So I talk with Harrison about the switch from hockey to full-time acting and really about the importance of representation. I'm 27 years old. Harrison is 26. When we were growing up in our impressionable years in the mid-aughts, Yeah, Ellen had been out at that point for almost a decade, so you had many openly gay characters on TV, you know, in plays, uh, you know, on television, in movies, in mainstream pop culture, if you will. But, you know, Harrison says he didn't even hear the word transgender until he was 14. And it's the same for me, too. I mean, growing up, I don't remember the trans experience really being part of the conversation at all. So it's amazing how far we've come in such a short amount of time. And we also, of course, have so much more we can do and there's so much more to accomplish. So uh, Harrison says one of the big reasons why he's getting into acting is he wants the current 14-year-old version of Harrison Brown who's having these questions to be able to see him in a play or see him in a movie and go, oh, wait, there's somebody like me. So that's just so cool and so important. So I encourage you to check out all of that on OutSports. Um, Also, encourage that you listen to the conversation we have coming up with Steve Buckley, as I mentioned, longtime sports columnist in Boston, now with the Athletic Boston, formerly of the Boston Herald. Uh, talk about representation. Uh, Buck was my first exposure to a gay sports writer. He came out in January of 2011 in a column in the Boston Herald, then did a radio appearance on WEI's afternoon show and took call after call after call and just was out there, which was so cool for me as an 18-year-old kid who was having these same questions about his sexuality Knew I wanted to get into sports media. Knew I wanted to be a sports writer. I knew Buck because he was a guest on my Red Sox podcast. I started a Red Sox podcast when I was 12, and I would annoyingly reach out to every sports writer in the Boston area, and the truly nice ones got back to me, Buck among them. So I already had a relationship with him, um, and it was just so cool to read. Like, wow, there is somebody else, else, else out there like me, and, you know, we continued to... Uh, you know, our friendship through college, and I came out to him one night uh, at a fast food burger restaurant right outside of Boston University, and, uh, you know, Buck's just been, I've been so fortunate and so lucky to be such great friends with him over the years, and uh, he's given me a lot of advice, uh, a lot of it I have ignored, <laughs> much to my peril. Um, we did work together at WEI, we hosted a podcast together, uh, the Two Outs podcast, uh, which was another great podcast name, you do have to say. And we did a regular radio show together as well. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Buck came out in 2011 
so he was already so well established in Boston. I came out one of my first times ever on WEI, so my introduction to the Boston sports world and the Boston sports media world was as a gay sports personality, whereas Buck was a sports writer who just happened to be gay. And that's one of the things that we talk about a lot, and we talked about it as well on our phone call, which you'll hear coming up. And, uh, you know, a lot about, you know, I was on Kirk and Callahan, uh, the morning show at the time, this highly rated show, a very energetic, confrontational, kind of intoxicating show. And it really, you really, there's nothing quite like, at least to me, the feeling of morning radio, you know, tons of people are listening, you're in the arena, you're ready to do battle, you know, I'm with hosts who are encouraging me to be provocative, encouraging me to, you know, just say, say what's on my mind, say some outrageous things. And, you know, you begin to notice that, huh, the more outrageous I am, A, it can be fun, and B, it's getting all this reaction. The phone lines are lighting up. We're getting all these texts. I'm getting all these tweets, and, oh, if I talk about a grinder date, boy, that really gets them going. Or, oh, I went on vacation. I went to a bathhouse. Let me talk about that. Let's really get the, let's really get them going. And, you know, you become a caricature in a way, and, you know, I... I always wanted to be myself on the air, and I don't regret coming out in the least early on in my WEI career, because I don't think it would have had the same career if I stayed closeted. I mean, so much about being a good talk radio personality is being yourself, and I had to come out in order to be myself on the air, so I don't regret that in the least, but, you know, it's, it's, it's balancing who you want to be and how you want to present yourself, and, you know, I was seeing somebody... When I first started WEI, I was 23, and I inadvertently outed him on the air, which I regret deeply, and I just made a lot of mistakes and pushed the boundaries a little too far, and Buck and I always had those conversations, and very frank and very real conversations, especially after uh, the Brady incident a couple years ago, so uh, a great talk with Buck. I'm anxious and excited for you all to hear it, uh, and then we'll reconvene on the other side. It's the Sports Kiki, episode two. Steve Buckley, you are live to tape with the great Alex Reamer. How does it feel here? <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> you sound it. Yeah, I was saying, you know, this is how we first met with me uh, talking to you on a podcast. So it really is like we're going full circle here, back to the future. It certainly does. Um, so how many times did you try to reach out to me before we actually did this nonsense back in the day? Back when I was a pre, the squeaky voiced preteen, uh, probably close to a dozen times. And I wouldn't just email you. I would email, I would call, I would Facebook message. I would really hit you up. <laughs> Too bad I didn't send anything by carrier pigeon. That was my next step. Well, now, as I recall correctly, and this is a name that won't be known to most of your big national listeners, but Sean McAdam, then of the Providence Journal, he was, he was the first person to, to fall into this rabbit hole. Is that correct? Yes, because all sports writers are attention whores. You guys just you need the attention. You'll go on anybody's show. <clears throat> well, to my credit, I, I, I ran for you as fast as I could. And then once it became known that Sean had done it, and maybe some other people had done it, I fell into it. And, uh, and here we are all these years later. We're buds now. So I know. And who would have thought that uh, the moment our, our friendship really, really turned was at a U-Burger fast food joint outside of Boston <laughs> University when I came out to you over double bacon cheeseburgers. <laughs> no, see, no, see, that's very different. You, you didn't really come out to me. You came out to me um, in, a, in a sort of a roundabout fashion. You made me do the work. Well, you, you, know. you just made this you made this comment about Grinder, and then yeah. you moved on to like three other topics. And I was like, whoa, 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 back up. And, <laughs> you gotta... and then you said, 
And then you said, oh, oh, yeah, by the way. And, and that's how it all played out. Well, I mean, you got to put the puzzle pieces together. Why else would a strapping Well, no, gun... no. See, that's where I disagree because, see, the, the one thing I miss about coming out, and I was just talking about this with a friend the other day, was that when I would come out to somebody, it was a grand pageant. I would take the person out to dinner. I would yeah. pick up the check, and it was, it was you know, lights dimmed, horns ablazing, the whole bit. And, and I would make this big pronouncement. But then once you make it to the masses by your coming out column in the Boston Herald, which is where I was working back then, well, all, all that mystery and intrigue and drama and, and pageantry is all gone. And I miss that. Well, times are – well, number one, I can't afford to buy anybody dinner. So, so that's why I never <laughs> – that's why I yeah. never turned out to anybody over a bought dinner. Well, I remember, though, I, I gathered my high school friends. I threw a party one night over the summer, like, when my parents were away, like, you know, any, anybody does. And, uh, and I came out to one of my good friends in high school, and his response was like, dude, we always knew. And I was like, oh, damn, really? Yeah. Like, come on, what's with that? Yeah, I, better, I, had a few, I had a few of those. I had the, 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 um, the fake hug, and we still love you, and then, and then you know, pause for a dramatic timing and dramatic pacing yeah oh, oh by the way we always knew and i uh, said so, yeah we'll screw you okay well because right, i never i never even attempted to like text a girl or call a girl to make plans ever so that probably raises some red flags you of course yeah, though and, were, uh, yes i of course was what such the such the ladies man growing up in, in college no, no 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 see to correct that i i i, I was never ladies man i dated in yeah. in my twenties, but uh, once once there was separation from that, there was there was never like a, a fake girlfriend on the radio or anything like that. I never played that. Either. No, I was your only radio fake girlfriend. So that's uh, that's, that's the only way we our radio. We had a great run on WEI. Too bad it ended after you said something just so tasteless, Buck. They had to pull the plug. So. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I ruined your weekend radio career. <laughs> my mistake. You always said you. You took the biggest shrapnel from that. Um, I do want to ask you though a question, though, Buck. It is a Sports Kiki podcast, by the way. That's the official name of the show. It's episode number two. Um, I wanted to save you for episode number two. We wanted to finish strong after, you know, wanted to con- continue the strong cycle after a strong opening episode. My first question is, do you know what a Kiki is, Buck? If I were to invite you to a Kiki, would you have any idea what I was talking about? I do not. And I'm not... I- I'm at a point in my life now where I'm comfortable admitting what I don't know. Whereas That's when good, I was though. younger, and and when I was younger and less had less uh, self-esteem and con- self-confidence, I, I would have faked some answer. I know. Well, I mean, that's why that's why you want you want genuinity. You know, nothing's worse than you know. What, what did John Kerry say? Manny Ortez. You know, nothing's worse than a faker. You know. Exactly. <laughs> so that's what they say. Um, you mentioned this earlier, though. I do want those to the listeners who don't know your entire story. So you. Did come out in the Boston Herald in 2011, which I mean, only nine years ago, but with the landscape seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, and I want to say, like, looking back now, so that column came out when in January, right? It was early in the year 2011. The coming January out 6th. Okay, so you're at spring training that year. I'm sure, it was a big deal. People going up to you. Now you look back, you know, nine years later, and what's what's just your reflection on that period? And you know, how it, did you ever think it would feel as routine as it does now? Back at that time. Well, it, it's it's funny because so many people told me it would become routine. And, of course, there's the natural fear of the unknown because you, you don't know what's going to happen. And I was quickly disavowed of that notion because I, I took a week off after the column came out 
And then I went back to working, and this was the week leading up to the Patriots' playoff game against the New York Jets, which they lost at Foxborough. And I was in the locker room, and there, there was a surprising lack of drama or any of that kind of thing. It was just people coming and going. And um, I, a few sports writers pulled me aside, but no players. But then I went to spring training a few months later with the Red Sox, and uh, there were players who, who came up and said, hey, good luck, and so forth. But nothing uh, – it's been nine years now, and there is there has never been an episode. Uh, and I think part of that is that I've been around a long time in my age, and it's not like I'm somebody that nobody knows. And I think in this one case, that works to my advantage. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's interesting, though. Like, I was actually having this conversation with one of my good friends, Kyle, who you know, the other day. And I was saying, you know, yeah. I kind of separate my life – into two halves pre coming out post coming out and it's not that i want to disassociate with everything that was in my life before coming out but if i you know if like if i knew you then and we haven't talked in you know the last seven years i'm like why bother i feel like you're not even it's it's two totally different lives you obviously came out publicly much much later just i've always been curious if you have any separation like that or anything no, I mean, it, it's just so much the norm because I need to point out here that while I was not, and this is something I've talked to Sid Ziegler about, there's, right. there's being openly gay and publicly out. And I was openly gay to the degree that I told my family and the close friends that I have and so forth. And um, as far as being publicly out in print, on the radio and TV and so forth, that was, uh, I don't want to call it a detail I hadn't taken care of, but it was just literally something I hadn't gotten around to doing. And um, it just, as the years went on, I said, really, I just need to sort of take care of this. Yeah. So that um, I just thought it would be more fun. I thought it would be interesting. And it was certainly fun. It was certainly interesting. And I've met, I mean, I met Sid Ziegler because I came out. If I hadn't come out, I wouldn't have met Sid Ziegler. Sid, someone that I have a tremendous amount of affection for. So uh, you you meet a, a whole bunch of really cool people you wouldn't have met if you were merely openly gay in your private life, but not publicly out. And that's what happened. Yeah. But I mean, it's different situations too. Like, you know, you were already so well established by the time you publicly came out in early 2011. You know, I feel like, my career would have been, I don't even, I, don't, I can't even imagine really where my career would have been if I have, if I were not publicly out, I don't even know if that would be possible, you know, for me to be a radio personality. It's just, I don't, like, I don't even think I could have the career that I've had. If I was closeted. I don't know. I mean, it, it gets dangerous because then, you know, you're playing back to the future. If, uh, you know, they had to fix the clock there and no city, whatever it is. <laughs> and it, it becomes, you, you you take the clock, you go back in time, okay, you create a new timeline, what would my life have been? And you can play that game all night long and still not forge an answer because you just don't know. I mean, it certainly, I think, helped you that you were openly gay and publicly out because you, you were you were young and brash and refreshing, and uh, I think you overdid it. We've had that talk a million yes. times. But, uh, but there, there wasn't somebody like you on the airwaves in Boston. And you became that person, and you are that person, and you continue to be compelling because, you know, there are people who don't like you. We don't know. We we do know that. We don't need to get back into that. But people know who you are, and they enjoy 
or at least withstand your message. And I like, I enjoy your message. Yeah. And, you know, but I mean, we have talked about that and, you know, that's, I think all part of growth, you know? So like when I started with EEI, you know, I was 23 years old, I think when I first started. So, you know, I was only really out for like two and a half years at that point. So it's really, I feel like, you know, even it's always an evolution. So like, you know, we talked about missteps outing, you know, someone I was seeing on the air, you know, et cetera. And I just think that's just part of learning too, and how to carry yourself as like an openly gay man and kind of what, how you want to present to the world too. Well, part of a learning process and part of not listening to me when I guided you on these things <laughs> time. Is that what it comes down to? <laughs> well, in this case, yes. Uh, so, Buck, you are down there, uh, Red Sox spring training. What, David Ortiz, is he out? No, 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 no. Let me stop that crap. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Let's go. How Fine. are you, Alex Bremer, my good friend, how are you enjoying your new life? My new life as a, the outsports deputy manager. I love it. It's, uh, I finally well, discovered. You've got, you've, got your, you've got your hands in many pies here. You, you're yes. doing outsports. You're, you're doing overnight radio. You're writing for Forbes. You're, you're in multimedia sensation. Thank and you. you are doing, I mean, if I can roll back the clock, what I did when the National Sports Daily folded and I was unemployed for a year and a half, which is how I get into radio and TV and magazine writing because I was casting a wide net just to just to work and rebuilding my career and which is precisely what you're doing right now and it's in my view looking back on it was scary and exciting at the same time yeah no it, it is you know i mean as we said i left you know eei with a lot of mixed feelings uh over the summer i loved what i was doing but just felt like in my mind you know really since college that you know again i was 23 i just felt like i felt the need to expand the political job wasn't a fit um, and now, you know, it's like, I don't know exactly where I'll be six weeks from now, what gigs I'll have going, but that's okay. You know, my whole life, you know, you know, since I was 12, my goal was I start this Red Sox podcast. I want to work at EEI eventually. Well, I got that. I mean, I was, so now it's like, yeah. you know, kind of embracing the unknown, which, you know, we talked about is really hard for me to do, but I'm trying to do it. Well, I think you're in a good spot. And, um, you're, you're doing this podcast. People are going to listen to it all around the country, and I think that you are your lips to God's ears. In a, in a, but you're in a position to really help a lot of people too, because there'll be younger people who might not be out, who might be attracted to what you're doing here right now. And I think you can do a lot of good in that area that people who are older really can't. So, so do good with that, my friend. Do good. I try. Yeah, I mean, well, thank you, Buck. I've, I've always tried. But um, no, I mean, and that's the thing, too, about, you know, why, you know, out sports, like I am writing, like this week, I wrote a piece about uh, a, a Harrison Brown, a trans man who uh, was the first trans man professional t- hockey player. He played in the NWHL. Now he's a full-time actor in Canada. Uh, you know, like I wrote about him this week. And to me, like at this stage, that's such a, a cool story and a cool person who I wouldn't have otherwise known about or had contact with if it wasn't for this job. So, I mean, that's the cool stuff too. And you talk about, you know, how you get older, like I embraced my gay identity more and more. And that has become such a big part of my day-to-day life. I feel like, you know, it's a natural fit to also do it professionally too. You know, some of it professionally. Yeah, I mean, you, you are the, I don't know if you qualify as a sports writer anymore, but you were at one time, but you were the gay sports writer. I was the sports writer, sports columnist, if you will. We just happen to be gay. And uh, I think we did uh, approach it through different uh, avenues. And, and when I came out, as I was preparing to come out, 
uh, a lot of people told me that you should plan on just going back and doing your job. And so I took that advice, and the fact that I'm gay doesn't really creep into the pros unless I'm writing about some gay issue in sports in which I feel it's necessary to, to write in the first person. Right. Um, beyond that, I can go months on end without it. And again, in terms of what I do in terms of media, I can go months on end without that ever rearing its head. Right. Right. Well, I also think it's different things, too. I mean, you know, absolutely right. But, you know, it's also timing, right? Like my first real introduction to the world was, you know, I was a, a foil on, you know, a morning zoo type show, you know, so that, right. you know, I think that that kind of plays a part in it as well. Whereas, you know, as you said, you already, you know, you were what, 69 when you came out in 2011. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> it's not 69, but whatever. You know, you uh. know, it's funny because. Um... <laughs> like I slipped that in there? I'll... Call it whatever age you want. That's fine with me. I'm okay with that. But um, in in terms of of me being gay, uh, when I did write about a gay issue, I would inevitably get emails and postings and whatnot from people who would say, "Oh, here you go again on your soapbox. This is all you write about." So I finally did a search once. I over a period of two years, you know, I'd written like 260 columns, whatever it was. I was doing three or four weeks in the Herald. So multiply that by 52 times two. And I said, okay, well, how many of these did I actually mention the word gay? And it, it was like it was like 13 times over two and a half years. And it, it just wasn't a big part of my repertoire. It's just that when I did write it, I wrote it strong, and I think that would resonate with people who, for whatever reasons, would prefer that I never write about that. But when they did see something, they got it in their heads that I was doing it every day, and that wasn't the case. Well, and I like, though, that uh, – well, I mean, you know, those people. They they probably still – they're probably some of my greatest Twitter followers, those people used to harass you with that. Um, but um, but also, you know, it, it gives you a voice of authority on something, too. You know, like, if I weren't openly gay, it would feel – I would feel a little fraught. Like, I would, you know, I would, I would feel like that would take away even from my writing when you write about those kinds of gay issues that, you know, do prop up somewhat regularly, at least, in the – Oh, yeah. I felt that, like, one of my um... – one of my moments where I was, I really felt like I had a command on the topic, unlike so many others, was when Jason Collins came out with right. Brooklyn in the NBA, because it was almost like three years after I came out. And I remember I wrote a piece for ESPN, the magazine, in which I, quote unquote, guaranteed there would be an openly gay player in North American male team sports. I have to qualify it with all those adjectives. And I, I guarantee there would be such a player within like three years and, or two years or whatever, however I phrased it. And Jason Collins came in just under the wire. And uh, so, so that, that strengthened my position on this. And I was able to say, see, I told you so. But, but more is the point, even though there, there has not been a, a, a cascade of players coming out in all the different sports, I think what, what Jason did was like really important because of the way he conducted his affairs afterwards. He simply went back and, and continued on with what was remaining with his career. And then went from, he then went from on, from, he went on from there, which was important in my opinion. 
Yeah, without a doubt. And he still is very active. And, you know, there's so many people. And that's the thing, too. Like, uh, I even spoke a couple of weeks ago with this guy, Kiel Patterson, who was a closeted football player at Maryland. Then he was an all, you know, wrestling champion. And now he's running for city council in Baltimore. And Jason endorsed him. And, you know, his thing is he's like, I'm running for public office because I don't want anybody to feel as alone as I felt. And even the trans actor I spoke with, Harrison Brown, said the same thing. I want to act now because I want other trans kids to not feel alone and see someone else out there like them. So it's so great to see so many people, you know, with that with that mentality of giving back, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, each time somebody comes out, somebody somewhere identifies with it. And uh, it, in my case, it, it could have been a, a – well, I know for a fact that I heard from them, sports writers at college newspapers around the country who were – in some cases openly gay, in some cases uh, not yet out. And I would hear from them. And I said, that was really cool because there are a lot of colleges in the country, a lot of college newspapers, and my message got to those people. And, uh, yeah, that pleased me to no end. Yes, even a little little Alex Reamer, 18-year-old Alex Reamer, 2011, looking it up. <laughs> What's going on there? Um, Okay, Buck, is Ortiz ready to join the Trump Justice Department yet or what? I couldn't believe that he wanted, that he's, he, Mike Fires is a leaker, no leaks. I mean, come on, what's going on? Does Barr need a deputy AG? Well, it's funny because I was at the press conference, uh, the, the gathering, if you will, on the back, uh, in that little bench area, I'll be on the third base club out of JetBlue Park down here in Fort Myers. And, and it was really supposed to be, or maybe I misread it, that, hey, do you guys want to talk to Ortiz? Because he's like a special spring training instructor, and he's out there with the fungal bat. He sat down, and for 10 or 12 minutes, it was, how do you feel about the Mookie trade? You know, what, what impresses you about Raphael Devers and uh, Xander Bogart? Do you miss Alex Cora? And it was all standard stuff. And then somebody tossed in a question about the Houston Astros, and I was really surprised by his responses. And um, I'm wondering if if he's aware that he made a bit of news today because um, the players, the active players in Major League Baseball, and this to me is the key thing to all this, active players in Major League Baseball are very upset with the Houston Astros. And it's not just uh, aggrieved members of the Dodgers who lost to them in the World Series. It's guys like Nick Markakis. Uh, who wasn't even involved in that, making known his feelings. And so now you get David Ortiz, who, for and, and I saw it over and over and over, year after year after year, players on opposing teams would gravitate toward him and hug him and take selfies with him. And that just isn't supposed to be done, you know, before a big league game. There's supposed to be some separation there. But that's the kind of personality that Ortiz said, or had, rather. And... Now what we've got is it's almost like he has a disconnect yeah. with the big league clubhouse. And I, as I wrote in my column in The Athletic, um, it, it's like sort of an okay boomer moment, except that he's not a boomer technically. He, he, he doesn't fit into the age group. But he does come across as that older guy who doesn't yeah. understand you damn kids. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I mean, you would know better than I. You know, you covered the game from the Black Sox scandal onward. Um, it, it just seems very... Covering City Hall. I was covering the City Hall. <laughs> okay, yes. Um, it it's very, seems very strange. Like, in the start era, I don't recall the players turning against themselves like they are now. This seems unprecedented. Well, they're not turning against themselves. They're, they're all... Turning against yeah, the Astros. Against, right. They're turning against the Astros. Uh, I don't, I don't consider that to me isn't turning against each other. 
the Astros, in their view, are outside the circle of trust, if you will. But they're and, all part of the union now, and the union negotiated. You know, uh, no and I, I understand that, and I respect that. But, again, these players feel that they've been cheated by those players. And there is a separation there. I understand as a brethren, as a fellowship, that they are all in this together. They're all part of the Players Association. And uh, you, you hear stories from way before I was covering baseball, really, that uh, like Bob Gibson, and Joe Torrey would tell the story about when Bob Gibson played in the National League All-Star game, even though he was in the National League clubhouse, he wouldn't talk to anybody. Because in his view, I don't care if we're teammates in this damned exhibition game tonight, but I play for the St. Louis Cardinals. You play for the Pirates. You play for the Reds, the Dodgers, the Giants, and so forth. You're not my teammates. You're my associates for tonight. And that was kind of how it worked in those days. You didn't see players behind the batting cage kibitzing as you see now. It just, just didn't happen. And you, you have NFL players, when a game is over, they join hands and get down on bended knee and have a prayer when the game is over. Right. And this is players from opposing teams. I wrote a story years ago um, that Gordie Howe and um, – uh, Johnny Bauer, the Hall of Fame goalie with the Toronto Maple Leafs, they were good friends. Well, the two teams were on the same train going into Detroit to play a Christmas night game in Detroit. Okay. But Bauer and Gordie Howe, Bauer was going to stay at Gordie Howe's house and have Christmas dinner the next day. But in order to avoid a fine, they got off the train at different on different cars and went to different places. And, and then Gordie Howe and his wife kicked up Johnny Barr because they didn't want to be seen together. That's how that stuff used to work. It's different now, and that's just the way it is. And I don't have any problem with it. It's the way time goes on. Yeah, Manfred is uh, certainly giving Goodell. Goodell, I would say, right now, less vilified than Manfred. So it's a well-paid and exclusive list that now Rob finds himself atop of. Yeah, I was at the press conference uh, Sunday night up at Northport, which is the Braves' new facility, and um, he had a rough night, some of the things he said. And referring to the commissioner's trophy, which is kind of interesting, that's what it's called, as as a piece of metal. Well, he's um, not wrong. Technically, it is, you know, just a piece of metal. It technically, it is. <laughs> if, if, if you, if you want to play that game, yes. But, but when you consider the player's, go to spring training and their goal is to, is to win that piece of metal. Yes. And you got Hall of Fame players like Ernie Banks and Ted Williams and Carl Yastrzemski, just to name three famous players who never won a World Series. Uh, I think it's disrespectful to Yaz and disrespectful to the memories of Ernie Banks and Ted Williams to dismiss the World Series trophy uh, as a piece of metal. Uh, that, was a, uh, that was a rough one for Rob, I think. It was. All right, Buck, going to get a burger back with me while I do my uh, overnight shifts next week when you're back up in Boston? I will be back in Boston on Saturday. We'll be in touch on Sunday or Monday, and we'll hang up during the week, and I look forward to it. All right, Buck, we'll talk to you then. All right, take care. Talk to you. Ah, Buck's the greatest, isn't he? Buck's the man. What a life he has. He's in great shape. I know he'd appreciate me saying that. Uh, Has a great head of hair. Well, more do you need? <laughs> no, in all seriousness, no. He's, he's a great. He lives a great life. Uh, always, that they always seems to enjoy himself. And the thing that I respect most about Buck is, you know, he's in his early sixties. He's been at this sports writing for a very long time, and he still enjoys his job every day, or almost every day. I guess it's impossible to truly enjoy your job every day, but he 
enjoys it seemingly as much as anybody can. And he's not jaded. He's not cynical. And in this business, especially if you're around a long time, it's easy to get jaded and cynical. So that's another thing that I always will respect about my man Buck. So we thank him for coming on the show this week. We thank you for listening. As always, subscribe to us. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Megaphone, wherever podcasts can be found. We're part of the Outsports Podcast Network. Before we go, I would be remiss if I did not plug Sid Ziegler's podcast, Fresh Out, this Monday uh, on Five Rings to Rule Them All. Sid Ziegler will talk with Joanna Harper, a trans athlete and researcher who has been literally in the middle of the conversations with the Olympics as the IOC evolves its trans inclusion policy. On the podcast this week with Sid, Harper talks about what trans athletes think uh, she thinks have the best shot at making it to Tokyo for the Olympic Games this summer. So that should be a great conversation. Sid Ziegler, Joanna Harper, somebody who is literally, as we said, in the arena there, in the middle of the conversations with the Olympics as the IOC evolves its trans-inclusion policy. The Tokyo Games coming up summer 2020. That will be a huge event for us as out sports. I know many of you are looking forward to that as well. So Sid Ziegler, check that out. Five rings to rule them all early this week. So long. Thank you for listening. Thanks for kicking with me. Uh, try not to lose your wallet this weekend as I did last week. Uh, so we'll talk to you next time.